It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW, in Sitka. Today is Monday, September 27th. I'm Meredith Reddick with Raven News. Sitka reported its fifth coronavirus death on Friday, along with four new coronavirus cases. According to a press release from the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services, the person was a man in his 50s. His death was counted among 40 deaths reported across Alaska on Friday, a backlog of cases spanning from May to August that state officials said were recently confirmed through death certificate review. All four of the new cases reported in Sitka on Friday are residents. Since the start of the pandemic, 1,086 coronavirus cases have been reported in the community. Sitka School Board candidates Amy Morrison and Todd Gebler joined KCW for a candidate forum on Thursday. They discussed everything from masking and coronavirus vaccinations to inclusivity for transgender students and addressing gaps in school funding. KCW's Catherine Rose reports. With a recent outbreak at Kikushihin Elementary, COVID will continue to be a top issue for the Sitka School Board moving into the fall. While the district already requires certain immunizations, the COVID vaccine hasn't made it on the list yet. When asked if the candidates support mandatory vaccinations once the FDA approves the vaccine for children 5 to 12, incumbent school board candidate Amy Morrison said she's not convinced as the vaccine is still relatively new. The chickenpox one, which came out probably about 15 or so years ago, I don't remember for sure, but I can say as a parent, I was very leery about having my kid get that one when it was a new vaccine. So, I mean, I don't believe in mandatory vaccinations in general, but certainly don't support the the COVID vaccine, I would say, at least in the first year until we know a little bit more about it. Candidate Todd Gebler agreed, but added that he's pro-vax for kids. I would highly encourage it, for sure. Um, My wife and I, it's a discussion that we're going to have, and I can see how people would be leery about it, for sure. As far as mandating it, I would say no, but I would definitely, definitely encourage it for sure. It wasn't just COVID talk. The candidates reviewed one age-old issue, school funding. As of June 30th, the school district had just under $1 million remaining in CARES Act relief. Both Gebler and Morrison said they'd prioritize teacher and administrator feedback when deciding where the additional funds should go. Gebler said he'd like to see some of the money go toward mental health services for students. With everything that's going with it's going down with COVID with the kids, there's bound to be tons of stuff that we're not seeing. Mental health, the aspect is is important. It's and there there are there are a lot of mental health professionals um, in the district now, but there there could always be more. And I think if there if there was a surplus, uh, that extra money should go towards mental health towards the kids. The candidates also answered questions about non-instructional funding. Earlier this year, some assembly members co-sponsored a measure that would tax marijuana at a higher rate in order to fund student activities. The measure didn't make it on the local ballot this fall, and one listener wanted to know what school board members' strategies would be for funding after-school activities. Morrison said that question is really for the assembly, since the school board doesn't have the ability to enact taxes or raise revenue. All we can do is go to them and ask them for the money and explain why we think it's necessary and important. But again, we don't have the method to actually raise those funds ourselves or implement anything. So 
um, hopefully together we can come up with a way of finding those funds again this next year. Gebler and Morrison are the only candidates running for two open school board seats, so as long as there aren't any last-minute write-in campaigns, they are likely shoe-ins. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. The forum was moderated by News Director Robert Woolsey. Early voting is open weekdays at Harrigan Centennial Hall. Election Day itself in Sitka will be Tuesday, October 5th. You can listen to our entire Assembly and School Board Candidate Forum on our website at kcaw.org. The Petersburg Borough is asking residents to help control the spread of the coronavirus as case numbers rise this month. Borough Manager Steve Giesbrecht issued a statement Thursday saying COVID-19 is spreading and positive cases have been identified in the borough, schools, and daycares. People who think they or a child may have been exposed should contact their employer, the school district, or child care facility. The statement also urges residents to get vaccinated and asks local businesses and organizations to require masks inside and reduce capacity where it's appropriate. The borough says this latest outbreak of COVID is threatening the open status of the schools, the hospital, and the community. The local government started to require masks in borough buildings in response. The number of active cases had risen to 20 by Friday morning. The numbers are changing daily. The medical center's infection prevention and quality manager, Liz Bacom, gave a snapshot of the latest outbreak at a hospital board meeting on Thursday. One is a holdover from uh, or last week, and it was uh, travel-related, but all the cases since then are community um, clusters of groups of people or there are some community spread cases in there as well. Um, the age breakdown for the cases that we've had this month so far, um, zero to age 10 years, there's two. 11 years to 19 years, is there's four. 20 to 29, there's one. 30 to 39 years, there's four. 40 years to 49 years, two. 50 years to 59, four and 60 and older, there's two cases. Petersburg's number of positives has remained relatively low in the past month, even as the rest of the state saw counts spiking. The first cases in this outbreak were reported Monday, September 20th. With statewide cases setting new daily records, the state's reporting of cases is lagging well behind local reports of those positives, sometimes by a week or more. The state's COVID dashboard still shows Petersburg at low risk, and the Department of Health and Social Services, as of Friday, had not reported any of Petersburg's cases from this past week yet in its daily totals. A former fisheries lobbyist stands accused of fishing over the line for the second time in two years. He continues to fight the original 2019 charges in court and says the new ones are also flawed. As Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, he's getting some help and advice from a friend and former top fisheries official. Robert Thorstensen, who goes by Bobby, was among a group of saners cited earlier this month during a 12-hour opener in Sitka's Silver Bay. The commercial fishermen were targeting chum released by the local hatchery in a special harvest area that he says was unfamiliar to the group. Um, it was a big, weird, shaped triangle, you know, that I've never seen before, that we've never fished before. The hatchery had forecast as many as 90,000 chum salmon in the area, 
but fishing game biologists drew lines to keep gear away from freshwater streams where wild salmon would be headed to spawn. You know, the last thing I wanted was a ticket, so I called the trooper over to me and I asked him where I could legally fish, and he told me where I could legally fish, so I went over there and sat there, and then he came over and wrote me a ticket. Neither fishing game nor Alaska wildlife troopers would comment on specifics, citing the open court case. But the Department of Public Safety said in a statement it's the responsibility of the permit holder and vessel captain to follow all rules and regulations. Court documents show that law enforcement officials confiscated 5,170 pounds of chum salmon. Until 2018, Thorsonson was one of the state's preeminent lobbyists in the commercial fisheries world. He's also a former executive director of the Southeast Alaska Saners Association and was part of the state's delegation to help negotiate the Pacific Salmon Treaty. The charges are similar to Thorsonson's 2019 incident at Crawfish Inlet, also on the west side of Baranoff Island. There, he was accused of fishing for hatchery-released chum too close to a freshwater salmon stream. He says the terminal harvest area set up to catch hatchery-released fish are purposefully separated from where wild stocks are strong. If, if, if there was any wild salmon stocks that were even meaningful enough to make a freaking sandwich out of, we wouldn't let them put a hatchery there. Any disputes at the crawfish inlet stream had wild fish in it. It's not an anonymous stream, it's a mountain stream. It's never had a fish in it. That point was backed up by a former Fish and Game deputy commissioner who visited the area with Thorstensen about a week later. And of course, you know, Bobby at that point in time was, you know, he was pretty, I guess you could say, you know, upset about the whole thing. That's Charlie Swanton, who had retired from the agency at the end of 2018 after nearly 40 years in state government. He says he hiked the stream as far as some downed trees and boulders. I mean, I looked around. There was not a sign of, actually, to tell you the truth, I didn't find a single fish of any species in that stream. He'd been invited by Thorstensen to fish with him now that he was retired after decades of working on the regulatory side of things. He says while the two were standing in the unnamed stream, unable to find any fish. And all of a sudden, Bobby turns around and he goes, well, I think I just found my expert witness. And so I wasn't looking to do it. But, I mean, he's a friend, you know, he's somebody that was an advisor for a number of years for me with the Pacific Salmon Treaty. And, you know, I, although he's, he's a unique guy, um, um, I found it, you know, just like, well, I, I know a little something about this stuff. I could help you out. And so that's how I got involved with it. That involvement included a dozen-page affidavit he filed with the court calling into question the agency's rationale for designating it a salmon-producing stream. While it doesn't ask for Thorstensen's charges to be dismissed, it recommends the court take these factors into consideration. Prosecutors have already downgraded the 2019 misdemeanor to a violation, basically an infraction. And half the roughly $50,000 value of the catch seized has been returned by authorities to allow Thorstensen to apply for more grant funding. So why is he fighting this ticket? It's just a violation, sure, but it's still a violation. The first case is scheduled to go to trial in December. The second ticket likely won't be heard until next year. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News.